Hello and welcome to another episode of the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. In today's episode, our literary correspondent, Hilary Wilson, meets with debut author Nadia Attia, whose novel Verge has just released. Verge is a magical and mysterious story about a young woman who takes an epic road trip through a disunited kingdom to rid herself of a curse. Marked by death from birth, Rowena has lost those closest to her and sees bad omens everywhere. Salvation, she is told, lies to the north, in Kulkrith, where her grandmother can save her from the curse. Her mother's farmhand, a young Egyptian man named Halim, is to drive her. But the trip is far from easy. Rowena is rebellious, spiky. Halim is reserved, quiet, and prefers to play by the rules. The land is mysterious and treacherous, with people who have married old traditions with new prejudices. The world-building in Verge sees whole communities reverting to old ways. We meet local witch doctors and gangs who've taken the law into their own hands. We hear local legends told through expertly crafted folk songs. We watch rituals and learn of spells and remedies unique to communities. Verge is a brilliant adventure with two very strong leads that's full of magic, mystery and folklore. Let's hear more about it. So welcome to the podcast, Nadia. Hi, Hilary. Thanks for having me. It's really good to be here. So you have an absolutely amazing background. Um, You were a filmmaker. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I used to make short films. Um, I did a couple of music videos as well, but it was all zero budget off my own back kind of work. <laughs> and it just got too hard. So I kind of packed that in pretty soon. But yeah, I love I love film. Yeah, so that gives you a bit of a unique perspective on storytelling. Um, because you're formatting a film is you're telling a story as well. Yeah, and like um my career has been in in film for the past few years and um you know distribution exhibition events and more recently in editorial and development um so the role i'm in at the moment i'm reading scripts and giving notes and watching edits and giving notes um i did the nfts script development diploma in the uk here and um and that's like a really well renowned sort of film school and that's i, I loved it i just basically love storytelling <laughs> so and it also fed into my writing as well. So kind of it's great that my kind of day job kind of um, coexists with my writing and feed they, they sort of feed each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so my ideas about structure and narrative and things like that kind of work with my writing. But then I can also sort of sense, you know, try and find other people's voices and get their stories up onto the screen as well. Yeah, I, um, you know, Verge is a very riveting read. Um, you know, we had talked about this a little bit before we started recording, you know, that there is a kind of cinematic element to it, um, an almost episodic quality. It's a road trip story, but not exactly the road trip story that one would expect. Um, it yeah. brings us through a very, a very familiar, yet a very different uh, UK. Um, would yeah. you like to tell us a little bit about the plot without any spoilers? Yeah, yeah, no worries. And um, well, going back to what you were saying about being quite cinematic, when I was writing it, I could really, really picture it in my head. And I think that's how I write. I tend to really 
visualize it so clearly um so yeah i'm glad that you felt that it was quite cinematic and visual and and you were sort of put into the world there so that's really good to hear um so yeah so it's a road trip i, I kind of always pitch it as like a folk horror tinged road trip because i want people to know that it's not just like a kind of buddy sort of road trip where everything's great <laughs> and rosy and it's like this hedonistic kind of two young people you know getting their kicks on the road but actually it's a lot darker and um i wanted to bring into it my love of nature and landscape and folklore and um those kind of aspects and I love like British sort of mythology and folklore and superstitions mm-hmm. and so I kind of threw everything into it <laughs> um but the road trip aspect I just I love road trip movies as well and I love the the sort of physical journey and the sort of inner journey and the kind of like how that sort of ties in um and I love the idea of two people just being chucked together into this like vehicle and they don't necessarily get on. I mean, they hate each other, to be fair. Oh, sort. yes. <laughs> and Halim and Rowena. Yeah, they're, they're not they're not buddies. Um, and I kind of love to kind of explore that, you know, sort of characters and relationships in that way as well. So it was just the road trip felt like a really good dynamic and a good, pardon the pun, but vehicle to kind of <laughs> tell the story um, and kind of bring all those elements into it. Um, and yeah, I was I was partly inspired as well the kind of crux of it, I guess, was Brexit. Um, mm-hmm. I started writing or kind of had the seed of this idea like years ago. And I and like remember distinctly being on holiday. Like, um, I think we were like in Canada, no, New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and it, we were just sort of, it was kind of one of those like holidays of a lifetime that you sort of save up for. And it was yeah. like a road trip itself. Um, and it was like, you were looking out of this like mountain and I was sort of thinking like, gosh, yeah. Um, Brexit is just so it's so depressing I kind of want to just live in New Zealand now because it's it, it just seems like the people are much nicer and, and and they're not so kind of insular and not so kind of like them and us and like mm-hmm. shutting themselves away and cutting people off and like um increase you know it's just the div- divisions in society that I found really kind of a little bit disturbing and it was getting towards you know you could sort of see that it could turn into a dystopia quite easily yeah um and there was a lot of like you know obviously political aggravation on both sides and protesting and and just Mm -hmm. you know tabloid press coming out with awful things just yeah it was just not nice it was quite nice to kind of get away and think about it and um I wanted to kind of put that into this world where it was almost it's almost like I guess a warning but it's not it's not like a, a didactic kind of yeah um this is right this is wrong this is what you should think I'm not trying to like preach or like put my point across like hit you over the head with it or anything but it's no just... that's very much in the background yeah. um but yeah it also serves the story very well um because you know Rowena is being transported you know across the UK by Halim who's being paid to transport her yeah um but there is a very strict timeline you know for yeah. this um she has to be uh, where she's being brought to her grandmother um, before the summer solstice, um, ideally yeah. before her birthday. But in order to get there, they have to cross through the counties with passport checks. You know, they have to have a reason to get through, you know, each place. So that add the idea of the division adds to that um, because it's more difficult to transport, you know, with all of these checkpoints. But it also adds to it in that um, you're drawing upon, you know, pagan tradition, um, a lot of traditional folklore. So you're also drawing upon the idea of these local uh, customs, 
you know, local mm. customs, local deities, local beliefs. So, you know, just further adds to you know, being um, apart from all of this, you're know, being separated from you know, some traditions abound, but at the same time, they're very wary of outsiders in classic folklore tradition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, actually, with folk horror, a lot of the fear just comes from within, doesn't it? It's mm -hmm. from people themselves, rather than this kind of external supernatural entity. It's like something that's like conjured from within us and like the kind of dark side of, of human nature. Um, so, yeah, I definitely wanted to explore that. That's a really good way. The way you put it was like really interesting, a really good way to kind of explain that. Um, yeah. So when you're kind of like fencing everyone off and putting these borders in place, it does make you kind of look a bit more introspective and kind of be more protective over your land and yourself and your the way that you do things. So, yeah, like the world that I was creating that was partly inspired by Brexit, um, it, I don't really describe it as a dystopian novel, but I just sort of feel like that's just the background and the backdrop to what's going on. Um, and it's so essentially easier it's, ways to describe it because people want to put everything into different genres. So. Yeah, into categories and labels and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it really um, is not your typical dystopian novel no no i mean it's exploring um loss and um unity and division in society and, and the kind of there's like xenophobia through this kind of society but also it's it's got an element of hope and adventure and about finding your own way and forging your own path mm -hmm. rather than bowing to the pressures of either yourself or society. And, and I, I chucked a lot at my two characters. I put a lot of obstacles in their way, yes, not not least the, the border crossings and things. But yeah, I just, um, that's what you've got to do with story, isn't it? You just got to like <laughs> make it worse and worse for your characters and see what happens. <laughs> I felt so bad for Halim because he did not seem fully equipped to deal with everything that was happening to him. Yeah, he was not ready for this road trip. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was uh, like, I'm just going to make some money and pay off my truck and, and that's fine. But no. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I really felt for him because he, he had such, you know, an arguably simple goal, you know, like you said, of paying off mm. his truck, you know, he has yeah. a very, you know, very simple, very grounded uh, goals within his life. Um, he is a livestock transporter um, for mm. Rowena's mother. And he then gets tasked with transporting Rowena herself <laughs> across these borders. Yeah. And, yeah. and she is not the most agreeable passenger <laughs> for no, him. That's fair. Yeah. Um, she has a totally different uh, belief system than he does, a totally different perspective on the world. And, you know, in spite of her, you know, being more open to these different experiences, you know, she wants to go to the different moots. She wants to go mm. dancing. Uh, she wants to go drinking. You know, it's you know, it's a holiday. We're gonna have some fun. Mm. You know, I'm. Well, she's never been out sleeping. of her. Yeah, yeah. she's never, <laughs> she's been, never out. been out of her county. So she's very been led a very small life in this small county yeah. in a small world. And even then, um, I mean, her background is that she was quite sick when she was younger. So she was also homeschooled and like kept apart from other people and society for quite a lot of her life yeah. and she is only sort of on the cusp of 18 so she, this is this road trip for her is just like hedonistic like anything goes like I just want to like live and experience and like let's just make the most of it make make the most of a bad situation I mean the 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 essence of the novel is that the um the premise is that they're driving her across all these counties and hard county borders to get her to her gran in the far north 
and her grand's a healer because um, Rowena's got a curse that she needs to lift by a certain mm-hmm. date, otherwise it'll fix. Um, so that's that's the that's the driving kind of force behind it. That's why they're on this mission. Yeah, and she has absolutely no idea what she's getting in for. Like the reality of how difficult a task this road trip is is totally lost on her um, mm. for you know a bit of the novel. Whereas Halim realizes just how dangerous what they're doing is. Yeah, yeah. Like I he's. Really I feel like he's street smart, but she's more, more sort of on the cunning folk scale, yes. where she kind of knows things and knows the ways and the old ways and 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 those kind of, and can kind of interact with the world in that very kind of niche kind of window. Whereas he's seen a lot more of the world and has driven to different places and has kind of struck out on his own. Um, so they it's almost like they can learn from each other basically yeah and there's an added danger uh, for Halim um, going through these insular communities because he looks different Mm, and sounds a little bit different as well yeah Mm. so there's an added danger there's an added um, suspicion you know that people have of him you know whereas Rowena you know she having known um, you know the traditions that you know people are practicing while not necessarily from the county that they're in, well, she isn't, mm. but, you know, she has this, you know, bit of knowledge of, oh, you know, I can sell charms here, you know, mm. I can fit in because I know what this is, whereas Halim is, you know, sat there being like, why are people jumping over the fire? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what's yeah. this? Why would I do that? <laughs> yeah, so it was really fun to explore like um superstitions and rituals and beliefs through the lens of someone like Halim who's kind of like naive and asking the questions. It's almost mm-hmm. like it could be the reader or or myself going, "Yeah, why do yeah. they do that?" And then Rowena coming with the answers and kind of saying, "Oh, well, this this is purification, you know, this is Beltane, they're driving the cattle between the fires to like bless them and bring prosperity to the farm." Um and also it, it's more important in this book in Verge that everyone's gone back to the old ways because the land is with through climate change as well. I kind of yes. was trying to say something through climate change as well. Like the land is not giving as much as it was. Like it's flooding, it's the crops are failing, it's like overheating. Um, and adding to that, the pressures of being in a county where you're like self-sustaining and you have to like almost compete with all the other counties yep. for, you know, government attention and, and assistance and things like that. Um, so it's it's a really tough existence. So it, it almost I kind of thought about the book logically in the sense that people probably would go back to the old ways. Like, why not? Like you're, you want the land to give you, so give back to the land and like, you know, would you praise the land or would you pray to the the sort of more dominant gods if they're like not particularly listening to you and you're in this awful situation? Yeah. Like, um, and also with the cost of it, the cost of everything. And, and it's so weird that what I wrote a few years ago is even more prescient now is that, you know, the cost of living crisis here, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to afford medicines or, you know, exotic foods and things like that. So you're relying more on what is in front of you. And, you know, healers would be in, in this world more more prevalent. So more so instead of a GP, you'd go to the local healer. Um, uh, yeah, so it, it, I kind of thought about it like I, I kind of pitted the magic against the logic. So I love the kind of sense of the old ways and superstitions and the pagan beliefs and everything but also I thought about it really practically and logically and sort of thought well 
this would be like this. So this situation would happen. Maybe they would be, you know, doing these rituals, like beating the bounds was one of the things that I researched and came up with. And um, that kind of also sold into the idea of like, you know, boundaries and establishing your sense of place. Um, and it's a real tradition and it still goes on today in, in certain parts of the UK. But um, yeah, I just kind of thought, yeah, practically to kind of make it feel real like this could actually, you know, could actually happen. It, you know, it's an alternate Britain I've created, an alternate kingdom, but it's also very close to where oh, we are now. It's very easy to believe in. It reminded me a lot um, reading your book of the speech that Christopher Lee gives as Lord Summer Isle and the Wicker Man, you know, that, yeah. you know, oh, well, we want to grow these apples and the apples aren't growing. So we started you know, going back to these older traditions and now the apples are growing. So who's yeah. to say, you know, yeah, you know, if we do this, you know, maybe this will happen again. It, you know, it's a very practical, um, not exactly cynical, but a little bit cynical, you know, mm. look at things, but it, you know, it makes sense to go back to it, especially when, you know, certain older traditions um, have baked into them um, things that, you know, do help the land. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if you're looking at it through that perspective um, where you're having to sustain yourself, then, yeah, it makes sense to go with the seasons to, you know, mm. be cognizant of this sort of thing. You know, there's a very practical aspect to the way that Rowena is living. Yeah, and and it it is interesting what you're saying about the Wicker Man example, um, and it being a little bit cynical. There's a bit in the in Verge where Halim asks one of the characters, like, "Oh, do you really believe in all this stuff?" And the character replies and sort of says something like, "Well, it doesn't hurt not to. Like, you might as well cover your back, and you might as well believe in these superstitions." And like, I mean, I still, you know, if I see a magpie, I'm like, I'm saluting the magpie. (laughs) I'm knocking on wood. You know, when I say something that I hope is really good, like this you know, Verge is going to sell billions of copies. I'm like, touch wood, you know, touch oh, my head or okay. whatever's around. Touch wood. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so it's just ingrained in me. It's like, but, you know, if it, it's not going to harm you, but it might help you. So why wouldn't you believe in these things and do these superstitions and these rituals? Yeah, and there's, um, you know, an aspect to, like, the pagan wheel of the year that sets your mind, you know, into the perspective of which you know, part of the season that you're in, you know, so mm. there's a practical aspect to it as well. You know, you're going to start the harvest now, you know, you're going to end the harvest now, like you're going to have stockpiled all this food for a big old feast, you know, to start yeah, it's off celebrating it as well. It's like celebrating yeah. all the hard work and, and yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a lovely way to live really. Yeah. I mean, again, it's not hurting anyone and, yeah. you know, it would be bringing a lot of joy and a lot of you know, more closer knit community, you know, to the different places when you're isolated. So it, mm. you know, it did make a lot of sense. It was a very easy world to believe in, you know, for better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, it was fascinating to see just how much uh, folklore, you know, how many traditions you were able to fit into it. Um, did you have any difficulty like researching it? Yeah, because I was really impressed by how much there was. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, I was coming on the folklore podcast thinking, oh, I'm going to get grilled on what I know about folklore. And, you know, I, I learned 
everything through doing this. Like I would never profess to be an expert or, you know, in any of these traditions. I'm not a practicing Wicca or, you know, I don't have any kind of particular religious belief. Um, but I loved researching it. I absolutely loved it. And I think that's kind of the key to if you're writing, because writing is so hard and there's no guarantee at the end of it yeah. is going to get anywhere. Like you've got to love the process and you've got to love what you're doing. And it wasn't a chore for me to write this book because I was like, I went on foraging courses. I was researching all these brilliant, you know, looking through all these books and like getting all this stuff. And I got so into the world and like finding all these cool stories. And if something caught my eye or gave me a sort of visceral reaction, visceral reaction. So there's a bit in the book where they find a body in a tree, for example, mm-hmm. and it was obviously like Bella in the Witch Elm. And I, I remember reading that story and thinking, that's so creepy. Yeah. And it was so chilling. And I kind of thought like, oh, how can I get that into the book as well? Like, and, and the good thing about having a road trip is that they're going through all these different landscapes and situations and meeting different people. So it is, it's not out of the ordinary that they're going to find loads of different things rather than one set of things or, you know, a recurring set of, of beliefs um, and situations. So, yeah, yeah I, did, I did a lot of Google, to be to be <laughs> fair, like a lot of it was Google. Um, but I there's a there's a kind of esoteric kind of bookshop that does like lectures and courses and tarot mm-hmm. readings called Treadwells in London. And I did. Oh, I've, yes. I've been, yeah, they're, they're great. I've been to a lot of um, online lectures. I've been a few things in person as well, but they were really, it's really good to kind of see what they're doing. Um, and then like books like The Wicked Shall, Shall Decay, which is about kind of curses and how to undo curses by mm-hmm. A.D. Mercer. I looked at that. Treasury of British Folklore by Dee Dee Cheney was another book that I, I sort of flicked through um, for when I was wanting to create the idea of like the folk songs that they're singing in the fields or just out and about. Um, I was looking at the Penguin Book of English Folk Songs and I love folk music anyway, but I, oh, yeah. I kind of, I just winged it. I just made it up. <laughs> like I can't read music. I don't write music. I, I love song. I love music. Um, so I, I just, yeah, I just kind of made that up. Um, to be fair, they were originally works. too. Sorry. Uh, to be fair, you know they were originally just making things up too. You know? Yeah, no, I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's how yeah. it goes. You you go yeah. where the spirit moves you. Yeah, um, and then I, you know, I I love going out into nature. So going for walks, I love watching stuff like Country Farms, Spring Watch, and all these kind of TV shows in here that um, are all about like you know um, the rustic life and farming and nature and conservation and stuff. Um, and yeah, just I just. I did a lot of research as well, like fun research into etymology and, and like how to name places in the counties. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't want it to be like, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's Essex or that's wherever or that's like, <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't want it to be identifiable. Like it is kind of identifiable. They kind of, I feel like you get a sense of where they are. Like if mm-hmm. you imagine, you know, the map of the, of the British Isles, but I really loved like finding out like why places were named certain things and you know the old English language and Saxon or Celtic kind of influences and Roman obviously um so yeah I had a lot of fun with like the geography and the place names as well as the kind of superstitions and folklore that was within it yeah the place names did really fascinate me um because they they were like they seemed real but they also like you can't look it up on a map 
but yeah. it still fits. I'm sure, I'm sure some of it might actually exist. And, part, and partly, obviously, you know, when you, everyone says, like, oh, write what you know, but it is kind of fun to draw on personal experiences as well. So I was putting in little tiny little nods to, like, my growing up in Hampshire, which is quite a fairly rural county in the south of England. And places like, you know, I love the water meadows near Winchester. That's where I was born in Winchester. Um, so I was putting in little bits like um, that meant something to me that it won't necessarily mean anything to anyone else. But that's the fun of being the creator and the writer, isn't it? It's like oh, putting yes. in a bit of you, but also all these new things that you're learning as 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 you're going along as much as the reader might be learning as they're reading it. Uh, the um, The opening of the book, like the thing that sets everything off from Rowena is the day that she's born, just starlings fall dead from the sky which is just such a startling thing to imagine yeah yeah i mean i read the, i read about that somewhere i read yeah. about a story so it is it, it's weird that reality is sometimes stranger than fiction and you kind of take you take that and you put your spin on it and you kind of work with it and like i was saying when i was doing the research if anything caught my eye and, and kind of gave me like a little prickle on the back of my mm-hmm. neck or gave me chills or i thought like oh that's just weird I just really wanted to put it in there and kind of put yeah. all these elements and things in there to kind of keep that atmosphere going. It, you know, it is just a beautifully horrific image, yeah. you know, to imagine <laughs> that and then to logically think of that. Well, if you were born and this happened, you know, what would people think, mm. you know, within this particular framework? And even if it was just like a handful of them and not, you know, over a hundred ones doing it, that would grow, you know, over time in the retelling of it. Yeah, yeah. And just, it would get worse and worse. And, you know, to, you know, think about from Rowena's perspective, you know, what growing up with that story in the back of her mind would mean to her, you know. It, she, it, it's her mum was like drumming that into her. Yeah. From like a young age, like, oh, you're different. And, you yes. know, that there's something not quite right about it. and it's it's yeah so that there is that in the background as well and like the incident when she was born but also when we join her in the beginning of the book like her dad has just died like a few days ago pretty much and it's just raw and real and obviously quite disturbing so um it kind of then puts a seal on all of her inklings on all the things that her mother might have been saying like oh you're different and things bad things happen when you're around um, so you can absolutely believe that you might be cursed when all of these things, if you line it all up and then chalk it up, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, there's um, a moment there where, you know, she blames herself for the death of her dad, mm-hmm. you know, because this curse has been following her for her whole life. And I think it's Halim who just kind of mutters to himself when she's talking about this, that he had heard that her father died of a stroke. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a moment, um, I think it was in the 1600s, um, with the Pendleton witch trials, where a woman had been, you know, shorted of something and supposedly cast a curse on this fellow, and then he died dead of a stroke. And if you read, like, how he died, it's very evident now that it was a stroke, mm. you know, but because he had just slighted this woman and because she had muttered something, huge trial gets set off from it yeah. and it, it just brought that back to my mind with like yeah. oh okay here's another echo of you know, of this it it's so easy to mm. think of that you know when something bad happens after 
you know, any small incident, it's so easy to just connect the two things. But also curses can be quite instantaneous, but they can also mm-hmm. be quite insidious and slow and long burning. And so you never know like what's real and what's not. And, and I, I did like to ins- explore that sense of belief and in in virgin and it comes up quite a lot with the two characters because they're all kind of like opposite sides yeah it's very nebulous and there also is um an utterly nightmare inducing moment uh several times within the book with the curse given shape you know you you did an excellent job um you know as somebody who has experienced night terrors uh, within my life, you did a very wonderful job of evoking that sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, sensation trigger warning. <laughs> oh no, it was great. It was really yeah. great. I, yeah. um, I mean, I, I love, hor- I love horror. So, mm. you know, even <laughs> with that aspect of it, but it, it is this really interesting, you know, kind of liminal space between is this, you know, real or is this just, you know, is this, um, you know, just a night terror? You know, is this something mm. that we can explain and you know ultimately as you said earlier doesn't matter you know whether it's real or whether this is whether it's real to you isn't it yeah exactly that's the question yeah it you know it doesn't hurt to say that it is real it so why not just work within this because if it is real then there's a way to fix it you know if it is real then you know, we know what to do, you know, we know what healers to go to, we know healers can help, mm. we know that, you know, we can rely upon this. And if the healing wasn't helping in some way, would they still have a, be a healer with a good reputation? <laughs> you know, again, yeah. that kind of practical bit there. Yeah, it's, it's an utterly fascinating book. And um, oh, I highly recommend that people look into it. Because, you know, as I said before, there's so much to draw out of it. So I, I have to, lovely to him. yeah, I have to ask, is there more that we can you know, be expecting from you soon? Is there anything that you're currently working on? Yeah, well, I'm working on, um, I've always got like short stories in the background going on. I've got like a gothic kind of dark collection of short stories that I'd like to kind of revise and build on. But I am writing another book at the moment. Um, it's not, Verge is a standalone. It's not like mm-hmm. a, a duology or anything like that. Um, and this other book again is a speculative fiction kind of um and again leaning into my love of like nature and and um superstition but I've kind of made it slightly harder for myself and I've said it in is a period piece I've said it in like the Edwardian times um because I was fascinated by um Pamela Coleman Smith who was the illustrator of the world famous tarot deck that oh, everyone tends yes. to use but she's very she's not very well known um, so I'm basing a character, loosely basing a character on her. And she's kind of like my jumping off point as inspiration. So um, it's called, at the moment, it's called The Quiet Hours. And mm-hmm. I'm working on that um, as we speak. Yeah, I should be doing it as soon as we get off this uh, this call. I'll be jumping back into my writing. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, hopefully something will happen with that as well. And, and uh, you know, let's see how it goes with Verge first. Yeah, I'm really um, fascinated that you're doing that because... You know, more attention is being um, placed upon her now. You know, we're actually mm-hmm. realizing, hey, you know, there was this insanely talented person working on this deck who's just yeah, kind of been such forgotten. an interesting woman. Yeah, Fantastic. yeah, so yeah, that's excellent. And um, you know, here at the Folklore Podcast, and here personally, I'm a big fan of Gothic fiction, so I'm definitely going to look forward to that. 
And um, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that you do have some short stories available for reading on your website as well. Yeah, there's a couple on my website and um, I, I do newsletter as well that I send about every month-ish. And that was kind of a result of all the research I was doing for Verge. I was like, I'm finding all these cool things. I kind of want to share all these like findings, um, almost magpie-like. I've been kind of going and <laughs> gathering bits here and there to put into this newsletter. And I send that out like kind of about every month and it's like music and um words and events that are happening but and uh, you know inspiring quotes it's, it's for anyone who's got a creative practice I think that wants a little boost of, of creative inspiration hopefully that will give it them yeah and you can also access um, older uh, chapters of the newsletter on the website as yeah. well so yeah. you can definitely be looking back at all things shiny there um, yeah <laughs> do you have social media for people to follow what you're doing yeah, I'm on Instagram, Nadia Atia writes, and on Twitter, Nadia underscore land underscore, because everything else was taken. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I, Nadia underscore land underscore. Which yeah, is I can relate to that on Twitter as well. Everything definitely was taken with such a generic name as mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you so much for your time. And thanks for I, having me. And fingers crossed, you know, for Verge, because I think that that's an absolutely wonderful book. And I would love to hear people's reactions to it as it comes out. You'll find Verge in all the places where books can normally be found. You can find more about Nadia on her website, nadiaatia.com, and she's on Twitter too. Links, as usual, on the episode page for this episode on our website, where you can also find links to the Folklore Podcast Patreon page. This is a great way to support our work from just a pound a month. There's additional content on there as a thank you, and it keeps the show going, helping to cover our running costs. We'll be back with a new episode very soon, and I look forward to speaking to you again then. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>